It's just messier. Really? I, well, the, I don't recognize the art. For, maybe the I'm art, just not yeah, we did, attention. We did put the pictures up. Those are my kids' art. Yeah, I think those are masterpieces back there. Yeah. I'm feeling all kinds of emotions. And you switched Biggie for Tupac again. Yeah, I'll do that again soon. I like to rotate, um, so eventually I'll bring him back down here. I have a question for you about that. You have Biggie and Tupac. And MF Doom. You do. You have Doom. So, well, so, but here's a real question. Why do you not have Hammer? <laughs> well, I'll say, I'll say this. The rappers that hang on my wall, walls are all deceased. Um, and so may Hammer live a long time. Um, <laughs> and part of that is like me not investing in a painting. <laughs> you know, like, for example... I think Kanye West is one of the transformative artists of all time, and I admire his artistry, and that's where it ends. But like, um, he's alive and still capable of many antics, and so while he's around, if I'm gonna forego the art, uh, the artwork investment, <laughs> and so that's kind of how I think about it. Like, it, it, you know, I love, as you know, like I love Nas and Jay Z, but I won't invest in their paintings because. Um, they're still out there. They get in trouble do something sketchy. Pull a Bill Cosby on me or something, and then I, I got to burn it down. So you only invest in posthumous rappers <laughs> who, who have not completely destroyed their own uh, vibe. And not just rappers, too. Like, I, I've got, like, other historical figures of, like, like Latino history, South American history, and they're all deceased because you just never know, man. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I want someone's story to be complete before I display them in my home. That's just kind of the way I think about it. Got it. So you sort of have your own rule against perpetuities going there. Yeah, it's kind of like a rule against perpetuities. Yeah. Now, there are some iconic figures back there that are still alive. Like, I've got a Stacey Abrams candle back yep. there. And yep. I've got SpongeBob SquarePants, who's alive and well, of course. Yep. And Patrick Starr. But, you know, they have transcended greatness <laughs> and have, uh, you know, bypassed any capacity for evil doing. And so they're here. Perfect. Um, all right, well, let's talk about our guest. Uh, we got a big one today. We got a big fancy guest. Yeah, Kristen yeah. Spiracek, the general counsel of Lyft, which is, uh, I feel like we were like fan, fanboying the company. We were fan, yeah, yeah, we were a little fanboy. I do love the app. I, I love the app. I like the company. Like their ethos is cool. Um, one of my, one, someone, I, well, my former boss's boss at the Justice Department is the GC at Uber. And I, I think Uber's a cool company too. And he's great. And they, Tony's one of the smartest lawyers I've ever been around. Um, and I have a great close friend, uh, Maria Arguello, who I've known for a thousand years, who's a big fan, was a big fancy exec at Uber. It's a cool company. But like touch and feel wise, like Lip just does something different to me. I don't know what that is, but it, like, it, it just does. Be, it could be the roots, right? The roots of Uber are like uh, limo type town. Oh. And, and so, and uh like large SUV. Yes, yes, black cars, black cars. Lyft's roots are, like you said it when we talked to Kristen, like your friend's car, you know, with a pink mustache on it. Like <laughs> more, it's just a different approach. And uh, 
different approach to a similar problem uh, or a similar thing they were trying to solve. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you remember the first time you did a app-based ride? Definitely. I was weirded out by it. Go, so, hit me up with the story. I was in Washington, D.C. Me too. And so I, did, there, I have two memories. Um, I have since moved off of Uber to Lyft, but I was at using, the first experience was Uber. They were first to market. I was at a restaurant with a friend in D.C. and it was pouring rain. And I was like, uh, do you need a ride home to him? And he was like, no, I'll just grab an Uber. I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, it's, it's, a, it's a town car that will come pick me up. And I was like, I was like first of all, I wasn't, you know, we weren't, it wasn't, we weren't in like in our forties. This was like, this felt very expensive. Like I was like, what are you, you're going to, what are you going to pay? Like a hundred dollars for a ride for a ride home? You know? A limousine service. And it just pulled up and took him home and he like got out of the rain and he was like, no, it's right here. And then I was lost one time. I forget how it happened. I was lost and walking around, walking around DC and I had no idea where I was. And I was like, all right, I'm going to try this Uber thing. And I, I just tried it and it like bailed me out, you know, I was lost yeah. and, uh, and I'll, yeah. And ever since then, it just became more and more and more ubiquitous, you know? Yeah, for sure. Same here. My first experience in, in, in a ride share or whatever car, car hailing service um, was Uber. It was in DC. It's before I moved there. So it's a long time ago. Before I moved there the last time I was visiting and I had dinner with a, a, a friend, a lady friend. And after dinner, she she was uh, still an up and comer, so we went back to her house. <laughs> the story's where are you me. going with this? <laughs> we went back to her house. She's like a tremendous cook, and there was like some desserts involved. And after dinner, actually, it was my birthday. It was my birthday. I'm pretty sure about this. Anyway, long story short, went to her house, had dessert. Um, she showed me some crazy sneakers. As you know, I'm like a sneakerhead. Now it's like 1 a.m. So I'm like, damn, how do I get a cab from this like row house road? I, I got to walk out to whatever street to get a cab and get back to the hotel. And she's like, no, no, no. I just call you. A, I'll call you a black car or something like that. And I was like, same reaction. Like, what are you, a millionaire? You live in a basement. Like, yeah. calm down. Um, and sure enough, a Lincoln Town car showed up, took me to the hotel. And I texted her when I got there. I said, how much did that cost you? So I can like, you know, whatever, like PayPal you or something. And she's like, three dollars. <laughs> Because back then it was so cheap. It was so cheap. So I took a Lincoln Town car or whatever it was back to the W Hotel in downtown DC uh, from like, I think she was in Columbia Heights, man, for three bucks. I don't, I, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, now it's a, now it's a fortune, but you know, it's a super interesting conversation with her. She, Kristen was at Lyft like from zero, zero. Her team's 150 people now. So yeah, that's wild. public company, it's completely different. She's been through everything and the companies changed so much. The jobs changed so much. We talked with her pandemic pandemic. We talked with her about like when someone first started talking about autonomous vehicles, it's earlier than you would think, you know, yeah, yeah inside lift and uh strategic for them and so um and and uh what a what a what a ride for her <laughs> yeah <laughs> a hell of a ride man yeah all right let's so, do it man here it is <laughs> all right here we are we're, we're here Day protection breakfast club with Kristen svercheck who is the gc at lift um and Pedro, you're on your third recording of something today. You're the most popular 
I'm Hollywood today, man. Person there is. Hollywood, man. Listen, it's uh, you know, showbiz, baby. I gotta do it. <laughs> um, so I want to start. I want to start, Kristen. You're on maternity leave right now, so thank you, number one, for yeah. joining us awesome. during your leave. Congratulations, by the way. Yeah. Thank you. Maternity leave number three. So I, you know, it's, I've got it down to a science at this point. <laughs> well, I want to talk about something related to that. Not exactly, but what occurred to me when I was thinking about the fact that you were doing this with us while you were on leave. Um, you know, I think like um, something we've seen, or at least I've observed is that over the, maybe the last few years, maybe five-ish years, it feels like it's like more acceptable to bring your whole self to work. Have, have you guys observed that? Like it feels that way and, and, and bring your whole life and your family and maybe yeah. COVID accelerated that too. Yes. So I guess, uh, so backing up, I've been at Lyft for eight and a half years. And so like, I've even seen the company, you know, at the same company, the company culture changed dramatically over the years. And I would say we were always one of those kind of bring your whole self, you know, be authentic type companies. Um, but I agree with the notion that like COVID was this kind of turning point where all of a sudden you were physically seeing, like we're looking into each other's houses right now. Like, you know, before that, I'd never seen the homes of many of my coworkers and you're seeing their kids, you're seeing their dogs. I see Pedro's dog. Um, and, and that was like a huge difference. And it's been funny, you know, we're a company with a lot of litigation. And even within that, like we're seeing judges in their chambers and at home, we're seeing our, you know, very fancy attorneys in their homes arguing like this kind of stuff just has never happened before. I logged in once to a Zoom call with a corporate counsel from Wilmer Hale and I hadn't seen him to your point, Chris, I hadn't seen him in months and he had a massive beard. Like I'm, I was like down to here and I was like, where are you? What are you doing? You know, it's so, so funny that you so, said uh, too. This was the hearing, one of the hearings I'm thinking of, and I won't out our outside counsel because he's fantastic and we love him, but he was in our like mock the day before he had, you know, scruffy face, baseball hat, like kind of a messy room. And the ne very next day for the hearing in front of the judge, super clean cut, you know, the shelves behind him were immaculate and we were teasing him about it afterward. We're like, whoa, you really got the place camera ready. And he's like, you know, my wife, my kids, everybody helped. It was like a team effort. So like, you know, like that just never was an area of focus before. It's totally different. I do want to say something about like bringing your whole self to work. I agree with Kristen that like there's definitely been, and you Andy, that there's been some sort of awakening, right? Um, let me be gentle on this one. If you're Latino or black or not in the normative group, it's still really hard to be your authentic self at work because I am not just to be honest I literally have to come to work every day you see how I zip up my hoodie I have to zip on my like work personality and then be this thing which is an additional burden for me by the way yeah um, to make sure everyone feels comfortable and like they don't feel that like my energy is confrontational and all these other things which like you know means I'm not my authentic self at work. Because one of the examples I, I give is I, I'm Cuban, right? Like Cuban people, we just yell. Like, that's just what we do. Like my mom, when she was alive, I don't think we ever spoke softly to each other in our life. We're just loud people, right? I can't, I can't behave 
certain ways at work. I can't yeah. be like demonstrative in ways that are natural to me. And I'm sure other people face even worse, but anyway. It's such a good push. And, you know, obviously Andy and I sit here in all our white privilege. And so, um, so like, that's such a great push. I will say what I've experienced at Lyft over the last year, um, especially with like the coincidence of, you know, all the Black Lives Matter, which obviously we're all going through right now, but, but um, last summer as well was having a number of virtual town halls where people got like really raw and emotional. Um, and, and that's actually happened more recently too with some of our Asian American team members, although it's been while well, I've been on leave. Um, and so I, I've seen that more in a real and an authentic way, but like completely hear you that, that there's still an element of like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I have to behave in a certain way. I mean, I'll at least say, you know, as a woman, that's always true too. Andy and I were just talking like right, right before you got on Pedro that like, uh, women talk about maternity leave in a different way than men do. Um, and we've got lots of like caring and involved dads on my team for sure. So I, 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 I empathize with what you're saying. As a small company, um, I've seen uh, the, uh, um, the openness about uh, bringing your whole self to work be something that people are talking about more. And, you know, the, the, the that, like, that's one of the reasons I joined Alice and one of the reasons I'm happy that I'm here. It's an openly discussed concept and idea and it also sort of relates to what the company does, but um, it's, I've seen that much more recently, this particular company as opposed to others, Pedro. And I don't think you're ever gonna be able to maybe bring your entire self to work, like yelling or something that's cultural in a way because you have to balance, right, doing work. But I will say this, you know, one of the reasons, I know this, but like one of the reasons Facebook hired you and one of the reasons, you know, Salesforce hired you is that you are outspoken. And so I think what you can't what you can't do is you can't go completely the other way, as we are in this position of bringing our whole selves to work. I think I hope our companies, at least the three that are on here, are supportive of bringing your opinion to work. And and we're not just gonna we talk about this a lot, Pedro. We're not like lawyers that lob memos over a fence and then walk away. You know that's not how it works um, in our companies. And so I, there's a balance, I'm sure. Yeah, and I, I'll say this, like outspoken, this is a personality characteristic, right? It doesn't really tie to my identity or my cultural background. Yeah. So so like that's, a, outspokenness can be a feat. And I also think it's overrated, by the way. I think there's a lot of smart people who aren't outspoken that don't get listened to because I, a loud mouth like me. But I guess where I was heading at, and I want to be really careful because I don't want to like act like Cuban people go around screaming and yelling at each other because that's not what it is. But there is a different way of communicating and I think just as effective, which has more friction in it by design um, and is more kinetic. That makes yeah. a lot of Americans uncomfortable and the feedback that you get. And I think African-Americans get a lot of this feedback too in some ways, because I, you know, people talk. Um, and it's really about shrouding the idea of corporate culture with ensuring that the majority feels comfortable at work at the expense of the minority having to accommodate that comfort. Yeah. And that to me is very frustrating. It happens at every company. It happens to me at this level of my career. I'm, the lower you go down the ranks, like the more dangerous it is to be yourself. 
because the more easy it is to get rid of you. And so like, I, I think it's a real problem. But I also do agree that like, I mean, there's some basic principles about decorum. I just don't think they need to be tied to like cultural preference. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'll, I'll give a couple anecdotes. One last summer when we were having a Black Lives Matter town hall with our co-founders, at that point in time, one of Lyft's corporate values was quote, be yourself. And in that moment, Logan, our CEO said like, we're gonna do away with that value because be yourself is putting the onus on the person. And we need to, we need to have the onus be on the company to actually like make it permissible for people to act however they wanna act. So I loved that because it was like, you can't quote, be yourself if that's never gonna be allowed in the, in the corporate culture. Um, and so, you know, we've since pivoted away from that as like a core value. We want to, you know, we care about belonging and inclusion, but we're not trying to, uh, put the burden on you, uh, to actually like figure out, you know, how to show up in a way that, that sort of like jams that in. The other thing I will say, I was on a panel like several years ago, um, moderated by Deborah Rohde, who's this like amazing gender studies professor at Stanford who actually just passed away in the last couple of months. And I was wearing jeans with holes in the knees. And she looked at me and she was like, you're allowed to wear that at work. And I said, yeah, I mean, this is, this is how everybody dresses where I work. And, um, and she's like, well, that's privilege. She's like, because I have students who would never dress that way because they would be afraid of how they would be perceived. And for you to get to dress that way, like you should recognize the privilege. And I mean, I was like, completely awestruck because I just never considered it in that way before. So on the kind of be yourself, bring your whole self to work point, it was like even the ability to dress how you want to dress um, is part of that, I think, too. That's so interesting. We're talking about ways and you, you mentioned what your co-founder said in that town hall. How like obviously Lyft has changed in a bunch of like really visible ways, like private to public or things like that. Well, how, like how else has it changed? You, you were discussing before we started recording about how your team is 150 people. Yeah. So how do you manage all of those kinds of things across a larger team over time? And what's it been like for you just generally with that level of change, you know, over the course of the years? Yeah. I mean, when I started at Lyft, we were uh, 30 people total. And uh, now we're 5,000 people total. And when I started, we were San Francisco only, and now we are all over the U.S. and Canada. Um, and you know, we were just rideshare, and now we've got all these other lines of business, including micromobility as well. And so, what it means for me is like my job is constantly different, like month over month, year over year. So it's like, yes, I've quote, been in the same job for eight and a half years, but it's felt like I've really had, you know, 20 different jobs over that period of time, because in the early days, personally, I was focusing obviously heavily on the legal substance. Now I'm focusing heavily on managing a team, motivating people, getting the best out of them, retaining them, hiring new good people, et cetera. And that's like just a fundamentally different job. One thing that I think has stayed true is culturally, we are a very open to feedback and tightly connected culture. And so like, you know, even for one of our co-founders to say something like this, this, this past year, like it's because 
I think we're fairly good at like keeping our eyes open, listening and learning and coming to the table with a bit of humility in terms of like, how can we improve? And I know like, you know, in the early days and thinking back to when I took my first maternity leave, like I didn't know how to manage people at all because you don't learn that in law school and you don't learn that really at a law firm. Um, and so I've had to, you know, I've been humbled many, many times over that eight and a half years. And, and I'm sure I'm not at the end of the road there either. Add it to the list of things they don't teach you in law school yeah. about, about actually doing the job. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Um, how big a role is, has privacy played in like how you develop your team? Meaning like how much of a focus is it at Lyft? Yeah. Um, I would say it's, it's a huge focus. Like it's interesting because, you know, we're a company obviously that has quite a bit of, of consumer data and that's yeah. just necessary for us to do our work. Like we need to know, you know, where you are and where you're going and, um, and, you know, maybe we optimize the experience by storing, you know, if you put in your home address or your work address or whatever it is. Um, but so like, that's been true since day one. And, and frankly, that. like, oh. Siri didn't get that <laughs> randomly. When Siri goes off, I've had that happen with, with, you know, I, I wear one of these things too. And like, it's so creepy because speaking of privacy, you're like, oh, you were listening to that Siri. <laughs> Well, this is unbelievable. Apple. Yeah. I'm calling Apple after this. We're going to have Thank you. Next yeah. Thing you know, Siri's going to go, Kristen, are you aggregating and anonymizing? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you noticed that was just random, right? Like, yes. I'm just in here and there she goes. <laughs> no, I mean, it's happened to me where I've been, you know, completely not touching my watch in any way, which is like, it's, it makes it all the scarier. It's not yeah, even yeah. as if you accidentally pressed a button. Sure. Anyway. What profound thing was I saying about data privacy? Oh, so since we, you know, we have to have a lot of consumer personal information to do our jobs. Um, it's something that even since the early days, you know, with a super small team, I was like, we, we've got to focus on this because that's the kind of thing where even though privacy is like, a, it's a, in my mind, a shared function, you need, you know, Inge and product and other resources like everybody's going to point the fingers at the lawyers if you haven't gotten it right, because, you know, what have you said in your policy, et cetera. And so in the early days when everyone on my team was a super multifaceted, you know, kind of covering all ground person, we made sure to have somebody who had some background in privacy, you know, probably, gosh, for, I don't remember how long it was, four plus years ago, we hired our first dedicated privacy person. And now we've got a number of them. Um, and I recall right after we hired our first dedicated person, we had, there was a negative information article about our privacy practices. And so I was so happy to have this person on it to just like handle it, work with the comms team, you know, work with our, um, data engineers, et cetera. But like, it's never far from my mind because you see how many big brands have gotten into trouble with respect to their practices. You guys, I mean, you mentioned it at the beginning, but like Lyft deals with such sensitive information, particularly like you're, you said it, like people's comings and goings, right? Yeah. Um, one of the interesting things to me about having that information is like the po potential for it to be used for good, right? Like, like just better, like, I don't know, transportation efficiency and, and yeah. et cetera. Like, 
how in the, the context of private, uh, making sure people's identities and behavior patterns are kept confidential and private, like how do we balance that re need and requirement with like what I think is probably some pretty good benefits to like looking into that data and seeing what we learn. Yeah, well, I mean, you guys said the magic words earlier, which were like anonymized and aggregated. And, um, you know, we, it's obviously the world's upside down right now because of COVID, but, you know, I'm sitting here in the Marina District in San Francisco, and usually I go down to SOMA to work, which is like a pretty regular traffic pattern, right? So when we think about um, incentives and when we think about like, you know, where do we want to nudge drivers to be positioned or, you know, where do we think we'll get the most efficiency from shared rides, which of course are not humping right now. Um, you know, knowing that there's like a bulk of people that travel from the marina down to Soma every day, it is helpful. So we can know that without knowing, hey, where are you, Pedro, specifically going? We just know there's a number of people traveling in that direction. So the information can be of use in optimizing user experience, even without knowing like what any one person does. One of the things I've noticed, and this is super anecdotal and it means nothing, but I've noticed it, is that surge pricing on, 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 the, on the ride share apps. Obviously there's like specific times and sometimes it makes perfect sense. I understand surge pricing on New Year's Eve at 12.01 AM or whatever, or New Year's Day, right? Like I get it. Um, yeah. But sometimes, it, and again, this is anecdotal, so I don't want to like draw too many conclusions, but I get the sense that like where you're going also impacts pricing. And maybe that I used a lot of Uber and a lot of Lyft. Um, and so like, like, for example, Trips to the airport tend to be seem to be priced some way to me. Trips from neighborhoods that are maybe less desirable sometimes take way longer and and seem to be priced funky. And what I mean by less desirable is what people would perceive as more dangerous or whatever. Um, all of that's anecdotal, and maybe I'm wrong. But like, is there research going into figuring out if there's something to what I just said? And are you guys involved in that? Yeah, um, you know, actually, I actually speak for both rideshare companies. There's oh. Yeah, we got kid. a lot of guests today. This is yeah, good. I said... your self. <laughs> um, uh, both rideshare companies have been involved in a number of academic studies about like, and I, I think what you're getting to actually is pricing discrimination. And that's obviously like so something that both of us, I think would say we are, we would try not to do. Um, and, and obviously you can have, um, uh, practices that are unintentionally discriminatory in nature mm -hmm. but yes that that is something that we've we've looked at with an eye toward preventing um but really the idea behind like surge pricing is is pretty simple it's like a supply and demand kind of notion which is like if you've got a lot of people requesting rides and not a lot of drivers to provide them how do you incentivize the drivers so that you know they can make a match with the riders Right. No, that makes perfect sense. And I'm glad to hear that it's something that you guys think about because it's important. And to your point, like it's not always like discrimination is not always intentional, but the impact is the same, right? Like, if, yes. you know, like, it, like and, and I don't think anyone's out to, well, uh, I don't think anyone's out to discriminate on purpose, the, at least not at like, the, you know, the, the company level, but um, uh, it is something that I think we have to think about. Yeah. Let me ask you, like, how, like, when thinking about those issues, right? Like, do you, 
tying it back to privacy specifically, like when you think about whether or not something is a discriminatory practice intentionally or unintentionally, is it important to know like who's being affected? Like, cause we talk about aggregated and anonymous. Well, it's hard to know what your, you know, like race, ethnicity and socioeconomic status is without some data points, right? And to find out if, like we want to know if there's a disparate impact on black people, we have to know that they're, that they're black, right? Like, and they're being affected, right? Or is there another way? Well, so this is what you are talking about is actually one of the reasons it's, it's, it's pretty hard to study this stuff is because a lot of that, um, those statistics have to be inferred because we're not asking writers when they sign up for our platform, you know, what ethnicity are you? Um, So you don't have really like perfect data. You can go by, you know, zip code, socioeconomics and, and or demographics, um, things like that. But, but at the end of the day, you're going to be doing a little bit of guesswork. A little bit of guesswork. Yeah. Yeah. How has like, I mean, obviously your business is one of the ones that's like the most, well, that's significantly impacted by um, COVID-19, right? Like people just stopped doing things. Like how'd you ride through that? That that must've been really hard. It was tough. Um, And, you know, knock wood, it feels like we've, we've come through that. Um, But, but, you know, it was a, it was a pretty surreal experience, you know, March, 2019, we went public March, 2020, we see all of a sudden our, um, you know, volume just kind of grind to a halt. And, and obviously like our stock price, uh, went along with that and, you know, being inside at the company, like you have to have a lot of faith for me. It was like, I believed then, and I still believe now in the fundamentals of the business, but of course there was plenty of attrition and we did a layoff, uh, in April, 2020. And so the makeup of the company changes greatly because plenty of people are going to say like, I want to go elsewhere. Like, I don't know if this business is going to survive. And we have a lot of smart people with skill sets that are attractive to other tech companies. And, and even those like closely related, right? Like if you don't have faith, maybe you hop over to DoorDash because you're like, well, their business is booming right now. Um, but, you know, I'm proud, like we were able to retain a lot of really good people. And I think since really since it turned 2021, Um, you know, we've seen the business bounce, we've seen the business bounce back quarter over quarter, you know, and obviously that's in our, in our, um, earnings releases. And like, I think people are starting to feel good again, but the crazy morale swing from 19 to 20 was something that like, I never would have predicted. I use more Lyft than Uber. I'm just going to put that out there. Well, thank you. I really do. And Tony, who's the GC at Uber, he used to be my boss when I worked at the Justice Department. So I know him oh, too. Yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. He's a great guy. He's yeah. A great guy. He's a great guy. And um, and so I love him too. And we've got to get him on here at some point. But like, he, uh, I, I use more Lyft than Uber too. And, and, I do. and I think like, here's a reason. And, and one reason only is... I just like the vibe better. And That's really I know, what it I know, is. I know that sounds. I know that sounds a little nutty, right? But I, I did want to ask you about this, Kristen. Like, yeah. like I was attracted to Alice to join Alice because they do such a good job branding and they have a good voice, yeah. and have a good feel. And Lyft is like, did you recognize that right away? Like, like this. And you mentioned like the co-founder, like uh, 
yeah. adjusting and uh, adjusting and thinking about his people, the people, and it just feels like there's that same shared sentiment. Yeah, I, I mean, look, it's it's real. Like I, I was, so I was outside counsel to the company for about two and a half years before I joined as GC. And so I had gotten to know our co-founders in that period of time. Obviously I've gotten to know them much better in the you know eight and a half years and we've worked at the same company. But um, when I was there outside counsel, they were like one of my favorite clients. You know, they were difficult and demanding, but they were they were very good at expressing their appreciation. And, you know, they understood when I said, hey, this is just like something we can't do, or this is a bridge we shouldn't cross. They listened. Um, you know, they had a lot of faith in me to like figure things out uh, because my background is corporate transactional. And so in those days, that, that was the capacity I represented them in. And they started, you know, asking me regulatory and insurance questions. And it's like, I, I don't know the answer to this. And they're like, just figure it out. We trust you. And I think having that kind of like working environment brings out the best in people. And so when they asked me if I'd be interested in coming on board full time, they're probably the only client that I would have left my job for. I wasn't looking to make a move in any way. And, you know, it's such a cliche phrase, but I think it's true that like the tone comes from the top. And, um, and so there's a lot of like-minded people, you know, and that's not to say like, it's, you know, everybody drinking the same Kool-Aid, but I do think there's like this shared vision uh, for what the company can achieve and what it should be like to work there. And I, I, I think and hope like that, that shown externally as well. It starts I to matter. I think you're, but, sorry, Andy, I think you're right. Like it's just the vibes are better. I, it, it, I don't know. Yeah, just are just, Uber feels more corporate to me. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's the right way to frame it, but like, I just feel like I'm catching a ride with a friend on this in a way. I, I, I don't know. I, you know, it used to be, that's like one of our old taglines. So I <laughs> really? did something right. It was your friend with a car. Yeah. For, I mean, but this is like 2012. So obviously that branding stuck with you, which is good. Yeah, yeah I'm here for that. <laughs> how do you guys pick, how do you guys pick like, well, you've been there since the beginning. I'm curious in like all these random things, but like yeah. I'm looking at the app right now. Like, how'd you land on this? It's not pink, right? Like, what's this color? What is this lift color? I don't remember even what is the tile of the app right now because I have the beta version. So mine is actually a different oh, color than yours. There you go. Oh, the fuchsia. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I like your title there, by the way, give me a ride. Um, oh yeah, that's the title of that box. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so our, um, so we have, you know, two co-founders, I already talked about our CEO, Logan, our, our president, John, who's actually my boss is like a very brand focused person. And he's the person responsible for like, I don't know if you guys remember the pink fuzzy mustaches from the early, oh, early, yes, early days. Yes. Um, and so he was the one who came up with that. And uh, they linked up with this company, Carstash, whose founder actually like later joined Lyft and still works at Lyft today. Okay. So this is like, these are all these long-term relationships. Um, but Pink was like, they liked it. It was lighthearted. It was friendly. And so we've always had like some degree of pink, you know, in our, in our corporate branding. But yeah, so my app, I think my app is like teal right now. I got to look. It's, That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Dave's really impressed. Dave is impressed by the beta version. There's, there's yeah, the I love that. Yeah. I want beta version. So that's why well, when you said the color of the app, I'm like, yellow. I don't know. Look at that. 
Look at that, huh? Um, but so yes, I love that. Yeah. I love testing too, by the way. I think it's so much fun. Yeah. Um, like giving feedback on app features and stuff. I do the same on Instagram. It's super fun. Yeah. I think your app works well and like it was simple. I mean, Uber and Lyft apps are similar, but they're not the same. Um, and I, I just, I, I agree with Andy, like just look and feel, it just felt just casual, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. It just felt like just better. I think the business, the business shows that, but then like, I think as you, as you go through your career, stuff like this starts to matter a lot more, you know, yeah. when, when, when we're in a law firm or we're in, you know, one of our first, you know, I was, I was in-house at, at, at a company, one of many lawyers and it just starts to feel very impersonal at some point. And then you start to really think about, well, okay, is, is, is the vision and the leadership of this company, are we aligned? Are we aligned? Again, if I brought myself to work as a person, am I aligned with that, that vision? And that stuff has really just shown how much that matters. Like above all, you know, you're managing a, a hundred, over a hundred people. Like it has to be that, uh, or, or it has to be one of those things. Yeah. That, pulls you, you know, towards it. Yeah. And you know, that's something that I struggle with as a leader, especially over the past year of COVID, because part of the cohesion, I think on my team was the fact that like, we like being around each other. We like getting, you know, we like doing solving tough problems together, like all in the trenches. And my team is San Francisco, Nashville, New York, and, you know, a couple of folks scattered elsewhere, but like in those places, there were, you know, decent sized groups where we were all together. And so having everyone be a part over the last year and particularly bringing on new people, it's much harder to establish that, um, yeah. you know, through a Zoom. Autonomous cars, like what, what, what how, do, how are they affecting uh, like the business? How are you guys thinking about this? Can I, can I quickly reframe? I think what I wanted to ask you about this was when was the first per, first time someone sort of like whispered about that? Because like, <laughs> okay, I have to imagine I have to imagine it wasn't what was going on the day you joined, right? <laughs> so it's funny because it wasn't, but it was pretty soon thereafter. Like I think within I want to say maybe two-ish years after I joined, we were starting to think about our autonomous strategy. So like if I go back to like probably 2015. Um, so, you know, it probably wasn't 2012, but it was probably 2015 and maybe before, um, you know, I'm saying all these glowing things about our co-founders, but I'll say another, like their transportation wonks. And so they were paying it. They were thinking about how is this going to affect our business early, early on? You know, it's funny because I've been watching that documentary on Netflix about like the last blockbuster and it's all about how like blockbuster had all these opportunities to compete with or acquire Netflix and they didn't and I think like our co-founders were really conscious of the fact that like if we're not if we don't have a strategy here this is the kind of thing that could take us out of business and so like let's develop a strategy you know very early on and ours has been essentially a two-pronged one, which is in-house development. So we have our, our own facility in Palo Alto called Level 5, and then one of partnership as well. So we partnered with folks like Waymo and others um, in this like open platform, basically, where you know in Vegas you can get um, Aptive, I think they might've changed their name, but an Aptive ride through the Lyft app an autonomous ride, you know, it's a short loop, but we've served a bunch of people through that. Um, and so they, you know, I give a lot of credit to them for being smart about making sure that 
we weren't just left behind and, and realizing this too late. It's good to hear that it wasn't the finance person who was like, what if we didn't have drivers? Yeah. No, no, <laughs> no. no. Cost-cutting measure for autonomous yeah. vehicles. No, it's heartening to know that it was strategic, right? And, yeah, and you, and what else, you know what else is interesting to me about this? And this has nothing to do with privacy, but it, it's interesting. Is like, who owns the fleets? Like, I guess it'll be you guys, right? Like, when we get to that point, like, because now it's not like driver-owned cars with, like, contract drivers. It's like, you guys yeah. own, right? So this is like, this is another interesting thing we think and talk about. And obviously none of these are all open questions because we're not in that world yet. But, you know, presumably you do have one single large fleet owner. Um, and, you know, I think TBD, whether that would be us or a third party or, you know, what it looks like. But, um, but then you've got to think about things like warehousing and storage and maintenance in a way that's very different than the world that we know today. I've got an idea, Andy, let's start this app. And if anybody steals this, I'm coming for you, I'm a lawyer. But like, just like we, you guys contract drivers with cars, maybe you could just contract my car while it's parked in my garage and I could just make it available. It gets the hell out of here and it goes to work while I'm sitting at the house. I'm a big fan of this. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. that's definitely one model, but then it's, but then, you know, a counterpoint to that is like, well then, like, do you really even want to have that car or would you yeah, rather just one. be able to call that car when you one. need it? Um, Cause like, do you care about having the insurance and maintenance and storage obligations? And again, these are open yeah. questions. Like, I, I don't know the answer to them either. Um, but these are, these are all the things that we talk and think about. It's a I'm such a car guy though. Like, like I like cars and I don't think there's enough people who, who like, I think, no knock to tesla but i call teslas like microwaves on wheels right um <laughs> like that's not a car uh, like a car person's type of car yeah. in my opinion right like the porsche like Taycan, yeah that's a car person's car right electric car anyway um i i think you're right and onto something the majority of people actually lean towards the microwaves and not towards the like performancey car thing yeah, i just don't think yeah. there's enough of us but as a car nerd i wish i owned a car sorry I, I, sorry andy go ahead uh, I just thought it was nice that brought us full circle because it's it's really just the the idea that your job changes all the time, you know, all the time. Just yeah, so wonderful for 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 the you know just the the strength of keeping going with a company like that. It's awesome. Well, that's you know, people have like asked me like, when are you going to leave? You've been there a long time, and it's like. I am so far from the end of dealing with interesting problems. Um, and so, and I work with great people. Like why, why would I leave? Where is the grass greener? Yeah. I love that. Or more fuchsia, but like, yeah, that's super dope. And, <laughs> and, and look, congrats on riding it through. And I mean that for all of Lyft, cause it's a cool company that does like cool stuff. And like we were talking at the beginning about like bias and like empowerment. And in a lot of ways, I know there's, a lot of controversy around like the contract worker piece of things, but like it's been a huge economic opportunity for hundreds of thousands of people to earn a living or supplement a living. Um, and, and, and I'm, I've lift drivers in my own family. Right. Um, yeah. and so like shout out for like sharing the success with people. Thank you. And by the way, that's very much been my personal experience. You know, my Lyft rides, I, I love talking to the drivers and hearing about what makes them tick. And, um, you know, the consensus, like this is, you know, my own personal experience, but folks love it. Like they love having that 
very easy income opportunity. And, you know, some of them are full-time, many of them are doing other things, and this is enabling them to do other things. Exactly. People who are able to quit their jobs that they, their full-time jobs that they hate, and they want to work on photography or dance or, you know, whatever it is, you know, not always in a creative field, of course, but oftentimes, and they're able to do that because they have, you know, this easy income opportunity. We've heard that from lots of like that, the LA folks that like, the kind of starving actor job is not waitressing anymore or wow. waiting, you know, waiting tables. It's, it's being a, a Lyft driver. Um, and so like, for me, I've gotten a lot of gratification out of feeling like, you know, we do provide something that, that makes it easy for folks to earn. I'm with it. Kristen, we're going to let you get back to your life, to your, to your yeah. children. Thanks for hanging out with us on your maternity leave. That's super Thank amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, it was great to talk to you. Um, we it's didn't good touch, to talk to you too. We didn't touch Animaniacs at all. So maybe Pedro and I will do that in the intro. And you know what else didn't happen today? I didn't curse one time. I don't think. <laughs> amazing. I don't think you did either. It's yeah. funny okay. because- uh, time, I used to have such a filthy mouth, but you know, having three small <laughs> kids, you really right. have to, cause I don't want to have the kids that just drop F bombs. So, <laughs> my friends do. um, so I've had to clean it up. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for we'll, we'll drop a couple in the intro. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, All right. Kristen. Nice to meet yeah. you. See thanks. you guys. See ya.